Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Church podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. I am super excited to be preaching my first Sunday Sermon at Grace today. It is such a joy to get to be here with you all and to get to practice preaching here. I've been at Grace for a little over a month now, and it has been both a whirlwind and really a blast. Now, I know a lot of y'all are still getting to know me, so I thought it would be important for me to introduce myself just a little bit at the start of today's sermon and to tell you about how I ended up here. So we may end out with a little bit of a longer story than usual. Bear with me. The first thing to know is that I was not always planning to be a priest. In fact, in 2012, I started working on a master's degree in counseling. I knew I was going to work as a counselor. I knew I was going to work as a counselor. After graduating, I started working in the bishop's office just to pay my bills while I built up my counseling practice. It was just a temporary situation. Pure happenstance. Or so I thought. I guess God had another plan at work because pretty soon after that, I entered the discernment process to become a priest. Well, I became pretty busy pretty quickly, to say the least. At one point, I was working the bishop's office full-time, and then I was seeing clients in two different clinics at the same time, as well as doing the discernment process and going to seminary and doing stuff in church, somehow all at the same time. I felt pulled in so many different directions. I don't know if any of y'all have experienced that, but it's like there's people pulling you, voices, life, whatever, pulling you in so many directions. I would work for almost a full day in the diocesan office, then I would book it across town to see clients into the evening, and then after that, I still had to think about, okay, what am I preaching or teaching in Sunday school about on Sunday, and had to plan all of that. It's exhausting. What does it do to us when we're that busy? Well, I think it kind of hollows us out because we can't give any, we can't give all of ourselves to any one thing. There's just too many things. I can tell you that I felt exhausted, disconnected, frazzled. I was discontented. I knew I wasn't living the fullness of life that God wants for each one of us. But I didn't know what to do about it. I honestly wasn't sure if God wanted me just to be a counselor, or just to be a priest, or somehow to be both. How was all of it supposed to work? I couldn't figure it out, and sometimes it felt impossible to keep going the way things were, but what else could I do? When I started getting close to ordination as a deacon, I started talking to Father Jonathan about the residency here. I thought it sounded like a really neat opportunity for a lot of reasons. One of those reasons was that it would actually bring together a lot of those different little things I had going on. You mean I could do church, work, and priesthood training all in one place? How great would that be? <laughs> then I would just have two things, counseling and everything else, instead of about five things that I had been juggling. And then we talked about counseling. First, Father Jonathan wasn't sure how it would work out. He said he'd think about it. So when I came up here for the interview weekend, I was prepared to hear him say, this job will be very demanding. 
the most counseling you could really reasonably do would be to see one or two clients on the side. Otherwise, this just won't work. Maybe he'd even say, you could see up to five clients, but that would be the max, that would be feasible. But I knew that for professional reasons with counseling, I would need to see more clients than that each week. So I expected him to place this limit and then I would say, thank you so much for considering me for this position. You've got a great program going here, but I've gotta be able to see more clients than that. So I guess that's that. Well, I got here and Father Jonathan showed me around the church. He told me some about the history and the congregation and I brought up the issue of counseling. And he said, I've thought about it. I've talked to some folks. You'd need to see five to seven clients, eight, no big deal. You can see them here at the church easily. Y'all, I felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath me, but like in a good way. You mean I could do priesthood training, pay my bills, be involved in the church, and see clients all in one place? Is such a thing even possible? I was completely surprised. More than surprised, honestly, I was astounded that all these little pieces of my life could be pulled together into one place and it could actually make sense. And needless to say, I was just happy. Not just happy, I was delighted. It was this amazing mixture of wonder and joy. To put it in another way, in that moment, I was so, so grateful. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that combination of happiness and surprise? I once read that that's actually what gratefulness is. That gratefulness can be defined as happiness doubled by wonder. In fact, you know what? I want you all to write that down. I want you to write down, gratefulness is happiness doubled by wonder. Gratefulness is happiness doubled by wonder. You're going to hear us coming back to that over and over again this month as we talk about gratefulness. When I look back on those events leading up to me being here, it's really easy to see why I felt grateful, happy, and full of wonder in that moment. But does that mean I didn't have anything to be grateful for before then? Absolutely not. I had lots and lots of things to be grateful for. I had family, health, work, an apartment, my friends, my cat. Kind of grateful on that one. Um, <laughs> it was just that most days, I sort of forgot how great those things were. I had so gotten used to them that they were like white noise in my life, always in the background, but easy to ignore or just forget. And I think that happens to a lot of us. Once we get used to having something, we forget that there's any reason to be grateful for it. We lose the wonder we should feel about it. The happiness seems to fade after a while, especially if we begin to feel like we earned it or we deserve it. We have to ask ourselves, what are those things that we have that are actually kind of a big deal, but we forget to be grateful for them? I want to give you a couple examples that come to mind for me. So what do you have to be grateful for, but you forget? Not everyone has a good family. But if you do, I bet, I bet you forget to be grateful for it a lot of times. You kind of take it for granted that you and your parents or you and your kids or you and your spouse 
can talk about things, can share experiences and emotions that you just enjoy spending time with each other. I know I take that for granted a lot of times. And if you're like me, you probably only think about how amazing that is when you encounter someone who doesn't have family relationships like that. What do you have to be grateful for but you forget? Maybe you're pretty well along in your career and finances aren't really something you stress out that much about. Okay, maybe you have to save when you know you're gonna need to buy a new car or you have to budget in order to take that vacation you've been planning. But it's been years since you worried about overdrafting your bank account by buying groceries or since you spent half an hour trying to decide if you could treat yourself to that $5 Starbucks drink. And then if you bought it, you felt guilty for it afterwards. And after all those years of not stressing about groceries and coffee, you kind of forget how amazing it felt the first time you didn't have to worry. What do you have to be grateful for but you forget? Maybe it's having close friends. You have a close-knit group of friends and you are going through life together with them. You can call them at any time about anything. And you've forgotten how really amazing those friendships are. Or maybe you were super grateful when you got your dream job. But after several years, it's just kind of your job. And you take it for granted. Maybe it's your health. We all have that to be grateful for. Even if you aren't feeling great today, you're sitting here. That's something to be grateful for. Or it could be any of a million things, honestly. We all do it. We all take things for granted and forget to be grateful. Part of my goal for today is really just to remind you of the things that are such day-to-day -day things that seem so common, but are actually really big things, things to be grateful for. A little aside here. If you haven't gotten a copy of the Gratefulness Devotional yet, please pick one up. I have a copy and I looked through it and it was really, really neat to see how many of you all talked about these sorts of things and how grateful you were for them. So there's some more of these near the door. Please grab one on your way out if you don't have one. What do you have to be grateful for but you forget? The passage we read from Job actually has a lot to say on that very issue. Our passage picked up in the middle of the story, so quick refresher for everyone. Job used to have everything that anyone could want. He had family, he had wealth, he had friends, he had prestige in the community, he had everything. And he served God really faithfully. In fact, he went above and beyond what he needed to do in worship. So the devil convinced God to take it all away, to see if Job would stay faithful. And the devil bet that Job would turn on God. But Job didn't. And that's where our story starts today. What does Satan say when he approaches God this time? Skin for skin, all the people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. He's essentially saying, Job is only serving you because you give him things like health. Job isn't grateful. He takes it for granted and thinks he has earned it. So if you stop giving him health, he'll turn on you in an instant. And notice, Satan isn't the only one who thinks that way. Job's wife is essentially saying the same thing. 
At this point, Job has lost everything, including his health. So his wife says, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. What she's really saying is, after all of this, after God has taken away everything, are you still going to honor him? Curse him and get over it. Job's wife is coming from the same perspective as Satan. She's operating under the assumption that Job had earned all the good things that he had. She and Satan think that Job and God are in this quid pro quo relationship where Job worships God and God gives good stuff to Job. If he was, no if he was in that relationship and if God was no longer giving Job what Job had earned in that relationship, what was the point in continuing in it? And what does Job say in response? Does he say, yeah, you're right. God's broken the deal. I'm done. No, of course not. But why doesn't Job say that? It's what both Satan and Job's wife seem to expect. And to be honest, I think it'd be easy for a lot of us, me included, to feel that way if we were in his shoes. I've lost everything. What is the point in worshiping God now? Why doesn't Job think like that? The answer is in his response to his wife. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? Do you notice that he talks about receiving from God? Not earning and not having, but receiving. Remember that question from earlier? What do we have to be grateful for but we forget? Job didn't forget. Job held on to his gratefulness. He knew that he hadn't earned any of those things. He had continued to feel that happiness doubled by wonder as long as he had any of those things. His baseline for gratitude, if I can call it that, was anything, anything that God gave him. Now that all those good things were gone, I'm not saying he was happy about it. He sure sounds miserable, and that's an appropriate response. To be honest, I'd be worried about him if he didn't feel miserable in that situation. But he also didn't take for granted what he had had before. He didn't assume that he had earned it. Job knew that everything he had 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 been given to him by God. What if you were to take a stab at being like Job? Not in the lost everything, all of life is miserable sense. I don't wish that for any of you or really for anyone. But in the sense of revisiting all the things you have and not taking them for granted. What would it be like for you to look at your family, your finances, your job, your health, your friends, and be grateful for them? I think it would look a lot like a renewed sense of wonder. You would re-examine all the things you kind of forget you even have, and you'd feel that happiness doubled by wonder all over again. You would look at your life with fresh eyes. You would have that baseline for great gratefulness in your life. And what would happen then? What would happen if we took stock of everything that we have all over again and realized how amazing it was? As many of you know, and I actually just learned recently, I'm new, October is always stewardship month at Grace. And I think what would happen if we really felt that gratefulness again is we would practice stewardship. We would manage those things in our lives differently. 
You see, gratefulness leads to stewardship. Stewardship is just sharing the wonder of the things we are grateful for. Yes, stewardship includes our finances, which is what we usually think about when we talk about stewardship. But as Job reminds us, we have so much more to be grateful for than just our finances. What would that look like? What would it look like if we regained the sense of wonder of our families, and then we shared that wonder? What would it look like if we regained the wonder of good health or of the freedom we experience living here in the U.S. or of any of the dozens of other things we so easily take for granted? What would that look like? Let me give you a little example of what I think it might look like. It's kind of a different picture of stewardship than we usually think about. After my parents left the missions field, they moved back to the U.S., and they bought a normal house in a normal suburb in the Orlando area, and they settled into lives working normal jobs. Having a normal home is a thing we easily take for granted. Well, you know how it goes when you live in central Florida. My parents got more visits from cousins, aunts, and uncles than they might have if they weren't quite so close to Disney. But they were always enthusiastic to have them there, to welcome them and to host them. So in a small way, they shared the wonder of their home. But it didn't end there. It wasn't just relatives that my parents hosted. After they moved, they kept up their connections with people in Kenya. And whenever Kenyan friends came to visit the US, for work or for whatever reason, really, my parents would host them. Sometimes for a day, sometimes for a lot longer. As time went on, my parents learned about a ministry that provided temporary, very short-term housing for kids who were somehow in the system, whether they were moving between foster families or whatever the reason might be. They need a place to stay for just a few days. So my parents signed up, and they opened their home to children ranging from toddlers all the way up through preteens, and really anywhere in between. The kids would arrive on a short notice and stay anywhere from one night to over a week. I don't even know how many children stayed in their home through that program. And those are just the folks they hosted overnight. Over and over, they have welcomed families, individuals, and groups into their home. For example, my mom works with a number of international graduate students who have nowhere to go for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. So she invites them over for family dinner. It's not a big deal for her, but we regularly have three or more international students with the family on those days. And that's just how my parents share the happiness and wonder, the gratefulness of having their home. What happens when they do that? What happens when they practice stewardship in that way? Well, I can tell you that what happens when they leverage their home for God is that lives are changed. I mentioned my mom invites these international students to come, stay, to come for meals. Well, one of these students is a woman named Laura. Laura grew up in France, and she was raised Catholic, but not really as a believer. As far as I can tell, her family was kind of culturally Catholic. So when she came to the US for graduate school and she was at UCF, my mom invited her just to come over for holiday meals. Again, nothing unusual for my mom, just a small gesture of sharing the gift she was grateful for. For the next three years or so, Laura came to my parents' house several times each year for meals. As she got to know my parents better, Laura started attending their church. And she ended up coming to believe in Jesus. She became a Christian. Earlier this year, Laura decided to dedicate her life to Christ, and she was baptized. For my parents, opening their home is not a big deal. It's a way they express their gratefulness to God for their home, 
the way they steward that gift by sharing the happiness and wonder of it. And because they have leveraged that gift for the kingdom, Laura's life has been changed into eternity. Can you imagine how my parents' original happiness and wonder has grown through seeing that? How their joy in being able to share that gift has grown even greater? How amazing to get to see God work so wonderfully through the everyday gift of a house. When we don't take those common things in life for granted, when we use Job's baseline for gratitude, and we leverage our everyday gifts for the kingdom, amazing things can happen. Lives are changed. What do you have to be grateful for that you forget? What would happen if you leveraged your everyday gifts for the kingdom? What would it look like if you leveraged your health for the kingdom? Maybe you could do that by volunteering with Interfaith, one of the groups that was here being interviewed last week. But what about leveraging your finances? If you're stable in your finances, if you're paying all your bills, are you tithing? If not, why not? If you're stable in your finances, but are not pushing yourself to give recklessly for the kingdom of God, you are missing out on so much. You're missing out on seeing God work through the, that giving to change lives. And you're missing out on having that original happiness and wonder doubled over and over again through God's work, through your giving. Let's be honest, your pocketbook might shrink, but your faith will grow and so will your gratefulness. So what will it look like when we, Grace Episcopal Church, when we share the wonder and happiness of How much will that gratefulness grow? And how many lives will God change through that sharing? Y'all, I can't wait to find out. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.